everybody to First Principles Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to analyzing environmental, economic, cultural, all that fun stuff from a First Principles analysis. Okay, so today is the episode where we will be focusing on COP26 that recently took place in Glasgow, Scotland. COP, now what does that stand for? It is the country council of parties council of what is it council commission (laughs) corporate we literally just looked this up (laughs) conference of the parties conference of parties and uh, i guess it it, basically it's a collection of uh, a lot of the major world powers and the the objective or the goal from uh, my understanding is they are discussing climate objectives, climate goals, climate initiatives, everything related to climate, global warming, climate change, all these things, setting, um, set, setting goals, setting objectives related to uh, everything from trees and deforestation to carbon emissions to methane emissions, a wide assortment of things. And um, to me... Honestly, from generally when these types of things happen, from my point of view, uh, I'll just say high level, I'm very skeptical of these uh, giant uh, conglomerations of nations. I'm very skeptical of the UN, for example. So I just want to let you know what my bias is coming into it. So, you know, if I say something, you know, okay, he's generally of this nature of this character somebody that maybe is skeptical of these large politicians coming together for their high and mighty objectives and uh, trying to achieve things that uh, perhaps could be achieved through lesser means um but i digress so that is to say that whenever we have a uh, a a a union of these uh, various nations um, towards some sort of goals. It's uh, more often than not, I feel like it's more of uh, administrative red tape, more administrative burden, more those things in place as opposed to actual mm, like hard boots to the grounds, get things done and things of that nature. So that's my hesitance of these things. So that's why I'm like, okay, another one of these things. Let's see what happens. But yeah, what are your thoughts on on that, Elliot? Because I know speaking beforehand, you kind of had a different take on it. Yeah, well, I mean, from doing a bit of research on these uh, these talks uh, over the years and the whole Paris Agreement um, that was set out six years ago in 2015, um, I had always just thought of them as good intentions by countries to come together uh, as a community to address some overarching uh, problem that's facing facing the planet. And um, mostly, what I knew about them was what I heard about in the media that uh, often they fell short. There was some, you know, idea of what needed to be done that was based on studies and analysis and the science and uh, the science. That's right. Um, <laughs> one of those <laughs> one of those words that just got tossed around a little bit too much without people really understanding what it means now. Um, and uh, you know, they were uh, so. 
I didn't think too much of them. I didn't, you know, in the same way, I was like, um, it's possible that these things are doing something, but there's also, uh, it's possible that they are a waste of time and there's actually other agendas at play that uh, are being, um, you know, followed through with through these these events that are outside of what what they're being uh you know told to be but you know all this was speculation i i think what i kind of came to realize um is that uh these meetings are you know a product from the i would want to say a product of of genuine concerns by by people whether they get changed into something else the the concerns by real people are uh are something that are at the root of of these talks and uh i'm wondering that if just simply the fact that there are these meetings and that countries have or feel an obligation to show up whether they make great leaps and bounds and agreeing upon stuff is kind of beside the point. But the fact that they're talking about it and meeting about it and progressively, you know, addressing or attempting to address problems is uh, ultimately the, the, the benefit of, of these things. And that in a world where these things didn't happen, if, you know, God forbid something globally started to happen, uh, that was related to climate change that was really bad, we'd probably be in a worse spot in terms of acting as, a, as one community to address it, uh, at least with these, these meetups that seem to go nowhere or, or at least fall short in some people's uh, opinions, there is uh, a better chance that something um, can be done uh, and it would be done in a more uh, quick, or sorry, I shouldn't say, I should in a quicker response than uh, if they didn't, if these things didn't exist. So, so your takeaway is more bureaucracy leads to things happening faster. <laughs> don't you twist my words I don't know yeah uh, but I, I like I like that because it, it shows like different approach to me mm-hmm. whereas you were kind of maybe approaching it from a more good faith uh, perspective thinking like oh, yeah they're they're trying their well-intentioned and maybe the the origins of these things are well-intentioned i just think from a theoretical versus the practical there's like a divide because i think the question is in theory yes there would be um that there would be it would be better to have improvement uh, or sorry it would be better to have cooperation amongst nations for these types of large-scale goals but if we go down to the pragmatic actions of okay who does what um what is the responsibility what is the distribution of actions who does that fall upon um can you come to the table with people that maybe have different needs maybe some people have the needs that uh, your people had a hundred years ago you know what i mean so they're dealing with problems that you had a hundred years ago but now you have different problems so then you're thinking about it from a different point of view you know there's like all these pragmatic things that come into play and yeah it just starts to look a bit ugly which is maybe where it's worth mentioning some of the 
things that I found interesting from um, that resulted from the uh, from COP26. So they talk about this goal of trying to maintain temperatures below the 1.5 degree target, right? Before it was two degrees, now it's like 1.5 degrees. And uh, I think one thing that, so I kind of I kind of like going going back to your your idea of like, okay, we're coming together and we we have a goal, right? So so what is that goal, or how how would we how would we measure whether or not these conferences are successful? Well, maybe if they came with a plan that addressed a concrete goal, would that be a fair way of saying okay, this this was this conference was successful if they could articulate what the, the the problem was articulate what their goal was and articulate what the plan was to reach that goal you could i, I would say that like, okay that, that's a successful conference would you say that yes i okay. think under the definition of what an actual successful conference or meeting is meant you have you come in with an objective that you know that objective is made clear people leave with uh, actionable items and right. people follow out on those items right totally however what i'm okay. saying is simply that maybe we just that's way too much to ask of, <laughs> of, of multiple countries and i'm just simply okay well hold up hold up before, okay before you before okay you go there, before you go okay I'm, i just want to establish the, the the premise that having a articulating the issue articulating the goal and articulating the plan to reach that goal it w- would be generally seen as a successful conference right so when we look at the goal of COP26 in a lot of these climate measures or whatever, it comes down to um, keeping temperature rise within 1.5 degrees Celsius, which scientists say is required to prevent a climate catastrophe, quote unquote, from BBC. I'm not sure which scientists they are quoting when they say climate catastrophe, but I'm sure nowadays our journalists are uh, can easily find any scientist to say whatever the narrative that they want to back and they'll, they'll find the scientist, quote unquote, that will back that narrative. But that is to say, okay, goal is 1.5 degrees Celsius. However, the current pledges, if met, will only limit global warming to about 2.4 Celsius. So, again, when we look at the overall objective and we say our goal is the science has told us that our goal is 1.5 degrees Celsius, right? We, we shouldn't go over that because the science has told us that, you know, it's just... It's quote unquote climate catastrophe will 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 result if we surpass that. So, how can we then think that this is successful if the pledges that are being made, if followed, which is in question itself, are only going to lead to a limited global warming of two point four degrees Celsius? Right, and that's why most people say the things are a failure they are they, they failed to meet the objective right now the question becomes or, though, or, or, or not even that they failed to meet, meet the objective or it calls into v- validity or it, it questions the legitimacy of these things and what they are meant to do at all for me from from my point of view that's mm-hmm. how i see it it's like yeah. okay if you said this is your goal but you're admitting that the things you're going to do aren't going to reach that goal but then you're also saying that if you don't hit that goal it's going to be catastrophic so then why are we doing these things that are only going to lead to the quote-unquote catastrophe anyways 
if you guys really believed in what you were saying, if you guys were really about what you were saying, then you would do the things necessary to keep it at 1.5. Now, that's not what I'm saying should be done because I don't believe that there's a climate catastrophe as the way that is being portrayed by the media. However, it, it, it does say like, it just for me just comes question okay like what's the game that's being played here like well, what's the, what's the game i think man? the distinction needs to be made between the the uh the people that run these things and uh the uh, viewpoints of of uh, the scientists that fall under that kind of thinking that these are hard objectives that need to be met versus um the political leadership of country X, Y, Z, right? So it's like a hundred percent. If it was, if it was coming from the guy that says, I believe in these things, we need to meet these objectives. And then he fails to do it. You'd say either you're a hypocrite or you're incompetent. Cause you're not, you believe this one thing you didn't act on it or you weren't able to meet it. That's a problem. Well, you're a liar. You're a liar. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think it's and you're nefarious, and you have other <laughs> objectives that you're not telling me about, right? Right. Sorry, but yeah, go right. Ahead, go ahead. So the the thing is, so there's one type of person that really believes it. The scientist, or let's just call this scientist A. Okay. Then there's politician. Uh, let's call this politician politician B, and he basically thinks uh, he's a mouse. You know, he comes out, he says he agrees with all this stuff, but then doesn't act on it. That's the liar. That's a hypocrite. That's the one that some people are more suspect are suspect of of what their agenda is. Then there, I think there are others that they're they're showing up to these events. They're saying their bit because they realize this is a global thing. You might not hear them actually say as clearly that they 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 will say climate you know climate change is a concern to them, but they 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 are careful about what they say. they agree with basically and then those people act a little bit differently and you can obviously see through their actions that they aren't trying to achieve the same goals and so those are those people you know i find them a bit more honest because at least they're like okay we see it we're showing up but we're not going to say one thing and do another thing we're going to try to be somewhere along the line so i i think the you know these conferences are full of kind of mixed bag of at least those three types of characters um and Here's the thing, though. That's one model. Perhaps. So you have these three types of people. So you have the hardcore policy person. You have the hardcore science person. Those two people might be on a different page. Then you have the third person who I'm not sure I understood correctly is the in-between person that's kind of on, on board for both. Or if I Well, no, I would say actually that? say, so to go over the three, the three types of so, people yeah. I'm thinking here is mm-hmm. the, pol- the, pol- the hardcore policy and science, science person are people that believe what the, the models are saying and and believe in the action and if they had the power they would 100 percent do it right but they don't have the power so they're, they're the true believers yes whether it's policy or science-based right right okay so that's person a they're the true believers true believers okay per- person b is the uh just they say they believe in them but they ha- and they have the power to make change but they don't execute it or they they are perceived to have right. more power to make the change within their countries the so politicians the pseudo believers yeah right. they'll, they'll talk the talk but they don't walk the walk they don't walk the walk gotcha okay. then there, there's this other one that shows up okay th- believes part of what the policy and scientists is saying is of a, a concern that they want to be at talks at these meetings they don't talk the talk in, in terms of saying exactly 
uh, I believe X, Y, and Z that the policy and scientists make, but they're there to do something about it. And that would be that's what I'm saying. It's like they're, those three people kind of make up. They're, the, they're, they're kind of like the, the ones that are like maybe more the realist. They kind of see the issue. They want to hear what's up. They're open to the idea. Hey, maybe we'll do something. But they're not like 100 percent like, yeah, we're going to like reshift our entire economic to system. meet this goal of 1.5. Right. Da, da. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. I, th- I think that yeah, that might be a good good uh, that's an interesting way to break down those three people however i would say that when we look at the actual reality of cop26 what is it it is 26 what, what is it what are the 26 referring to it's the 26 nations that are a part of this right and when we look at this idea of the the scientific establishment. I don't think it. I don't think it's twenty six nation. I think it's it's the twenty six year that it's been going on. Is it? Uh, I could. Yeah, I could be wrong. Sorry. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'll look that up. You continue. Yeah. yeah. So what, what what I was gonna say though is that when um so we have the these nations who are the 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 tops right and they they get together with their or they combine the political minds with the scientific minds and i guess the question is do the political minds and the scientific minds unite and or do they i guess uh, do they act hand in glove where once the scientific minds say something do the political minds take action I guess for the longest time, the argument would have been, no, the, the politicians are slow. Science makes their decisions or science comes up to a conclusion and policy takes a while to enact it. However, based on the last 18 months, it, what I've seen or what we've seen is that science and politicians can actually work very closely to one another they can work very hand in glove to one another and when scientists say something say x politicians are very scared to contradict them they're very scared maybe covid was one specific example but i don't think so because i think that this is the trend that our society has been going down for the last couple hundred years where we've been kind of idolizing science as the the uh, as the new religion essentially as the new god because we've replaced religion. So then when, when we have a society where our political class and our scientific class come together and they're more than willing to rule hand in glove with one another, that's where I, I, I start to doubt that, that that model that you presented of this these people that are kind of down, but they're, they, they believe it, they have the power versus the people that believe it or, 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 or like the people that talk, talk, but they will walk the walk. Like, I don't know, I, I just feel like, for, for, from my mind, like, once, if, if the, or from what we've seen, based on the last two two years anyways, if the scientific establishment is pushing a certain direction and there's more or less a consensus on it, then the political class is kind of bound to it. Their hands are tied. And I remember this exemplified by um, our premier Doug Ford in Ontario, who was caught on on mics saying um, or on video saying like, "Oh, uh, I wouldn't. No, no politician would dare go against what their uh, head scientists say or something like that." You know, because it was it was kind of admitting how they um, 
how our society really so highly regards science and if our politicians were to anything that quote unquote contradicted the science then they would lose their lose their job lose their confidence from the public just because oh what you're not listening to the scientists okay kick him out the scientists because and that's where the whole term technocracy comes in the technocrats are running the the systems which is a, a term that has, is being used a lot, and I'm not sure if a lot of people are familiar with that term, a technocracy, but that's what it really becomes, which is when you have your political class unite with the educated technical class and you rule uh, essentially via this oligarchic framework where the elites of society, the most educated, the uh, the ones that know all the technical answers, they're the, they're the ones that are running society, they're designed everything to run in a perfectly operational efficient manner uh, technocracy which is what a lot of people are scared of when they hear that term if they understand what the hell that means because that's what china is it's a technocracy in a sense and very scary and arguably canada the and the u.s are well on the way uh yeah you know so <laughs> Yeah, we live in strange times, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. So I and so again, I go, I go to the the, the, the temperature goal. If your goal is one point five, your scientists are telling you, you we we've demonstrated in the last two years our faith in science one hundred percent. If the science says it, then it's got to be one hundred percent true. So science is telling you one point five. Uh, by the way, did you check twenty six? Is it the twenty six years or twenty six countries? Twenty six years. So twenty six years. Last okay. year, last year was the uh, COP twenty five. Okay, my yeah. bad. So yeah. Um. So how many countries are were there actually? Just out of curiosity. I was looking for that number, couldn't find it. Uh, okay. I got a okay. rough not, count, but not important. Yeah. Not important. Yeah. But a lot of them. A lot of them. Yeah. So again, the, the, so one of my beefs was with temperature. Another one. Sorry, did you have anything uh, uh, that you wanted to touch on before we move on to the next? Uh, well, I I just want to kind of discuss briefly the um, the assertion about uh, you know we're moving into towards this technocratic uh, way of of doing things, mm -hmm. and and the politicians aren't willing to push against their scientific heads uh, yeah. of, of policy, whether it's through a health department or climate related. Um, so there is the, the argument for this, this way of doing things uh, is that uh, science provides a, a set of tools for analyzing the world and establishing truth and and uh, the way understanding of way how the way things work and through through that you come out with results and data that um, in the best case scenario is is close to the truth and helps you fully understand how these things come to be and and that is good evidence to make decisions uh, upon because. Well, hey, you're gonna get you're gonna get what you basically uh, are looking for if you if you if you understand how things work properly, and so you know it only makes sense that that would be chosen above other models by by people because of its track record. I think what is scary about what's going on right now is that um, the science. Uh, is 
we're really seeing the, the the limitations of science, especially in a, a you know an, an evolving situation and um, the the kind of uh, desire to move quickly on topics that require you know just computational power and and levels of uh, modeling and the limitations of modeling that we can do, you know, the quote-unquote in silico studies. Um, so it's like one hand, it makes a lot of sense to, you know, trust in science and the evidence-based decision-making, which you always hear thrown around. But I think what is dangerous is when we get to the point where we no longer acknowledges, acknowledge the uncertainties. We no longer acknowledge the uh, limitations, and we uh, are just caught, you know, um, just kind of going. Well, we'll fall back onto this crutch, which is, oh, we were following the science of the time, and mm-hmm. you know that just runs into a bunch of issues. You run into a bunch of issues, mm-hmm. so. That's my two cents on that. It's like I understand. I think we both understand mm-hmm. the arguments for for w- this current uh, relationship between politicians and science scientists. But yes, and uh, I think it comes. It's like you said. There's uh, there's good evidence for it because in recent recent times, obviously, science has been used for you know developing a bunch of the technological um, innovations that we have in front of us. That it's like allowing us to communicate via th- these microphones and all of these things. I suppose then the, the question is is it's like okay, science is a tool, but then it's a tool towards an ends. But then what is that ends? And that's where science meets its limitations because science doesn't tell you th- this is an ends that we should re- achieve. Science is a, a, a tool that you, once you establish an ends that's worth achieving, you can then use to uh, create a hypothesis, um, take a, set up an experiment, take measurements, analyze, was it true, was it incorrect, and then see what we can do in order to get towards this goal. But, uh, but then, again, it comes back to... It is a is a society that's run purely on a technocratic methodology. Is that society lacking its core values that are meta science that go beyond science that are not tied to any scientific principles, but are tied to eternal truths that were essentially uh, predated the scientific methodology and process, and that's kind of like. A little side tangent that we're going down now. It is. It's it's an interesting conversation to have. So yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, I feel like um, there is the very real chance that the decisions that are made on uh, from scientific methods uh, will lack humanity, lack some sort of uh, uh, line that shouldn't be crossed, because it's very real to think that you can, you know, understand the mechanisms of something, develop a model that predicts it very accurately, that, ought, that you know, what is the outcome? The outcome is, let's say it's um, to save the most amount of people. That is the utilitarian, you know, mindset. Mm-hmm. That model does some sort of uh, calculations. Okay, these things need to be done to save the most amount of people. But when you actually look at those things, um, 
those things may be awful for some people, for the minority of people. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> you know, following the dictates of science mm-hmm. and and a justification for utilitarian thinking, the mm-hmm. the outcome, you could easily justify it. Oh, we follow the science, but... I exactly. feel like there's a cautionary tale there, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's so many times where science has been used for... The some, greater uh, good. The greater good, which was actually a, a whole lot of evil and killing and all that stuff. Okay, so let's... Uh, let's uh, Pulling it back. Shift, uh, shift <laughs> gears back to COP26. And I want to talk about the idea of coal because that was something that was mentioned in the conference and how they were going to pull back coal consumption. And it's funny because um, uh, this one BBC article that uh, mentions a lot of what happened, what the results were, it says that there was an explicit plan to reduce the use of coal, which is responsible for 40% of the annual CO2 emissions. However, countries only agreed a to a weaker commitment to phase down rather than phase out coal after a late intervention by our good old friends, China and India. So, it's and it's like okay and i can't blame them right because they they need energy they need power for their people obviously they're becoming more and more developed and there's more people exiting out of poverty and one of the fundamental things that your government needs to provide you is the energy right it's like one of those basic components of life that we all need that we kind of take for granted in the West because we're so accustomed to flicking the switch and the electricity's there and turning on our oven and it heats on right away. But a lot of places in the world don't don't have that. So who are we to say that? No, you, you, you need to not let your people have those those fundamental human rights or I mean, rights might be not be the right word for it, but those fundamental human needs in order to have a, a a basis upon which you can then go and fully experience the human condition, not to be too abstract. Um, but 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 again, like, can we say to these countries, don't don't use coal? I mean, clearly we we couldn't because in the last minute that they said like, no no, we're not gonna do it. Although this probably wasn't even last minute, it was it's probably just how they wrote it. It was probably like the whole time they were like, "Nah, man, we're not gonna we're not gonna cut it down our coal." And uh, this is something that I I also mentioned before we we started recording, but how that could actually be a good thing because it, in a lot of developing nations, as opposed to coal, what they're doing is burning manure or wood. And that is, uh, well, from what, what I was saying was much dirtier process. And uh, we found some articles saying that it was, this was actually controversial, but I, I think like it's pretty like you, ubiquitously assumed that wood generates less energy than coal per gram, and it generates more CO2 per gram. So and you have to grow and cut down forests, right? Uh, and if you're not growing it, you're not producing. You're not. You're basically reducing the number of trees in exactly. an area. Also, other problems with that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And um, and I guess a little caveat was that it was say this one article that was saying that there's actually uh, equal emissions um, for coal and wood was if they're burned on a dry basis. But of course we know wood is wet. We need to put energy to dry it. So there's, yeah, it's kind of hard to make those comparisons. Well, and I think, but the main point here is when you consider the, 
the uh, the way energy is being produced in a country, uh, you got to think about what is it relative to what was being used before, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. an alternative to, because right. There, there, right now we're in a situation where we have a lot of ways we produce energy that are quote unquote bad because they emit CO two, but they're not equal. They're they all emit CO two, but you know natural gas when burnt produces less co2 than mm-hmm. than coal um you know people say yeah, there's obviously methane which is the primary gas in natural gas you know it can leak and if it's not burnt methane has a higher greenhouse gas potential but it's relative to what and 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 also to are they doing anything to uh uh, post uh, combustion of it to uh, mitigate this stuff. That's you know just because you're. We've discussed how silly the term green coal is in previous podcasts, but there is. Uh, that's not to say that um, you couldn't use it in combination with something else, and it is better than what you were doing before. Mm-hmm. From a CO two reduction, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, perspective metric. Yeah. Or that there is a relative distribution of the quality of coal and you could have some coal that is less pollutant in terms of the amount of CO2 that's generated per gram than another type of coal, just by nature of them being d- different quality, th- like a different grade. Imagine like a, like your fuel at the pump, right? How you yeah. have like high octane, low octane stuff. Yeah. The it's purity like of that. it, what it's mixed with. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but but again, I go go back to this question of like, okay, we have our, our our climate elites telling us that we need to reduce our CO two consumption because or CO two production because uh, we want to avoid the one point five degrees Celsius. But yeah, at the same time, we have the these types of things taking place where India actually, um, funny enough, they're going to be increasing their um, coal consumption by five percent per year, if I'm not mistaken. So, haha, <laughs> jokes on you. Like <laughs> they're actually going to be increasing their coal consumption by five percent per year. And again, it's not it's not to say that they shouldn't do it, because again, I, I acknowledge fully that these people need energy in order to um, yeah, have that fundamental basis of, of life, right? Clean energy, water, housing, heat all the fundamentals of cooling. Um, but again, when, we, when we're looking at just this whole thing of like, okay, well, we're trying to avoid a climate catastrophe. I guess it just goes back to the idea there's competing interests. There's, there's a balance. You know? Right. There's and competing interests here, you know? When we talk about competing interests, there's, there's, you know, one way of looking at it is like, okay, does India uh, just simply not uh, think this 1.5 is a real thing or is it is somebody in india going we're looking at the cost benefits of this Mm -hmm. and we're going hey uh yes this is going to be a problem and we're going to be impacted by climate change in the future and this is going to but um energy needs is a real thing for a growing population and we need to meet it somehow or exactly or but there's like this you know this is what people worry about is that uh, there is the coal industry is in there. They, all they're thinking about is we need to sell more coal. It's our bottom lines, our financial interest. And they're just in these events to basically push their uh, monopolies. So it's like, oh, uh, you know, 
we're here, you know, burning coal. That, I feel like that's what you, when you listen to some sort of activist group, and, and this is a real thing, the, the financial interests of, of big oil and, and coal, no doubt, but it's, that is the framework that like these, these countries that aren't uh, uh, falling in line to do the thing are, are being, you know, they're being led by the financial interests interest of, of big coal or oil or whatever, right? That's True. another perspective. Could be, yeah. could be. I mean, similarly, though, you could say that there's financial interests that have been shifting towards like the green movement in recent times right right? i mean that's huge (laughs) right now right now (laughs) yeah yeah they're 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 because uh you know financial interests play a role in everything uh in it's and uh, you know without a doubt now that there's going to become larger and larger green energy uh uh providers that are that are going to be pushing their agenda for funds towards their projects and uh the the speaking of funds that actually again going back to the idea of how these um uh, you know the, the climate movement is getting uh, quite a bit of financial backing to it too which i don't know doesn't necessarily disinvalidate it outright obviously but you know kind of like how, how you're talking about there's all these financial interests with coal and it makes you suspect when there's mo you know when there's big money involved it does make you question people's motives right yeah so um on the subject of money though there's financial organizations that are controlling 130 trillion dollars that have agreed to back clean technology so financial institutions uh we're talking about banks we're talking about insurers lenders all these types of things so we have 130 trillion dollars of money that's willing to back clean technology. That's that's not an insignificant amount of money, and um, arguably, I mean, like who, who who's got bigger pockets there? Like the the banks or the oil companies? <laughs> I don't know. Like because you're 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 talking about how like the oil companies, the coal companies are pushing stuff in India, but we got trillion dollar banks pushing st- stuff over here with clean tech so it's like uh, i don't know we got like who's got the bigger dick swinging i guess <laughs> is the question because <laughs> um, as yeah the, the initiative is an attempt to involve private companies in meeting net zero targets so essentially what that means is i guess they're going to be backing up uh, projects that have uh, environmental initiatives associated with them and such but it's it's actually really funny because um, so before apparently these countries they had a goal of hitting a hundred billion dollars a year by twenty twenty right so what apparently they were supposed to pledge the richer countries they're supposed to pledge a hundred billion dollars a year by twenty twenty to 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 this fund or whatever that they were then going to distribute to developing countries. So they had the money to invest in clean tech, whatever, whatever. But um, so in 2020, they missed their goal. They missed their target, which goes back to one of the sad realities of all these things that you got to pay to play. If you want these things done, you have to pay. So they missed their target of $100 billion. And what did they do? They not only doubled down, they 
10 times down, I guess, would be the, <laughs> because now their goal is $1 trillion a year by 2021. So, uh, and I guess maybe to reel that back, it's a prospect, how it's written. It's a, there's a prospect of a trillion dollar a year fund from 2025. So I just, I just found that funny how like they, they pledge $100 billion, they couldn't hit it. So now I'm like, okay, we didn't hit $100 billion, let's go $1 trillion. let's go to like 10 times that, like, all right. Um, well, sure. uh, like, I guess that's one way of approaching uh, goal setting. <laughs> Double down. No, 10x. <laughs> Not good enough. 10x. I w- uh, and I was reading um, that the way the Paris Agreement was worded is that five years after the, the agreement was established, you they, all parties were supposed to meet again and uh, establish more ambitious goals. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one of these circumstances. Yes, so the initial goal was $100 billion, It was not met, but they ha- the clock ran up. They got to five <laughs> years. And I think... Here's the goal. Right, we did it. Okay, this is even more ambitious goal. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the step from one billion to one trillion is is crazy. But oh, I God. wanted to say something about the one billion number. No, uh, hundred hundred billion to one trillion. Right, right. I want sorry. I wanted to say something about the hundred billion dollar price tag. Right. In terms of of dealing with this, so. Okay. And I'll back up and say, uh, there is a need for money to finance uh, some of the solutions that financing solutions you know is, is a real thing obviously yeah throwing money at something uh doesn't always fix a problem because you need people to execute it well and efficiently and right. um you know you always fear that for example there's some nonprofit out there that ceos employees are making out with three digit incomes but they're like we're nonprofits, we're doing a good thing and you go okay is this really the best way to use money for to deal with the problems that this nonprofit is trying to do. Right. And that's kind of like a corrupt version of it. So it's like money, but money needs to be thrown at the pro- at a project. But I heard this 100 billion price tag and I was like in this day and age is that really anything but peanuts because <laughs> the I was looking at the cost of an LRT, the light rail system in right. Ottawa, you know, uh we're talking 3 billion uh, even more than that for a light rail system to be built in one city, a small, not the largest city in Canada, big enough though. And but, but three billion over how many years for the LRT? I think that was for phase one, and right. which was over uh, six years. Right. But more. this is 100 billion per year. Per year, right. So it is a lot of money, uh, but... Uh, Keep you keep keep this again, in mind. Yeah, still big project. Yeah, uh, and a billion should not be uh, underappreciated. Uh, the yeah, one way to of sneeze at nothing to sneeze at. You know, the, the time and time again, I go back to this great uh, not analogy, but way of looking at what's the difference between a million and a billion. Right. And when you put it into time, it's it's quite incredible. So for a million seconds, that works out to be 12, 13 days. A billion seconds works out to be like 30, 31 years. So the difference in magnitude of these numbers is truly astonishing. Yeah. But um, when you look at the price tags of infrastructure projects, if that's what we're talking about for either... uh, 
It's pricey. Those are pricey, you know? So it costs a lot for sure. It's just a question of like, yeah, how's that money being used? How's it being like funded and who's doing the checkups? Because a lot of times you throw money at a thing and what's actually happening is there's a bunch of corruption that's happening when where on the facade on the surface level it seems like the money is going towards projects that are that are good in nature for example solving homeless or something but then you realize that in reality what you're actually doing is propagating a in, in bloated inflated bureaucratic system that has no accountability no oversight no overwatch and this money is being spent as a quote-unquote investment yet these people they have zero accountability to actually show the roi to actually show what those dollars went to and how they profited back from them and that that's where things become a bit a bit shady about this whole this whole thing we're like okay we're, we're spending this money there's uh there's targets but we where's the accountability where's the actual checkup like oh we we targeted 100 billion but that didn't work so let's do 1 trillion okay that sounds great but again like where's the follow through where's the verification that things are actually being done <laughs> like you know like well just, that's just it right and you know you can understand that countries rightly so are hesitant to uh put money into something that they don't feel has the right checks and balances and maybe doesn't have a definable, you know, this is what we're going to get for this price tag type thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so, uh, we, we should be clear though, that the 1 trillion is, is not a confirmed target. It's like a a target, the actual prospect prospect. I think they're going to nail down what that next number is going to be in 2027 Mm -hmm. is what I read. But the, the idea even more. Yeah. It one could, trillion, one point two trillion. It could be it, it could be more. <laughs> I I find it really hard to imagine that it would be more, given that they weren't able to address this, and now there's going to be more pressing things to think about following. Uh, you don't think state. governments want to spend money? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> really? I don't know. <laughs> they do enjoy collecting and spending money. Copious amounts of money that hasn't even amounts of money yeah. been created yet. It's yeah. It's 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 just so much money being spent. It's uh, yeah. And then to, to what ends? And the question is though, when we have the government spending money towards an end, what we're doing is we're saying that the government ha- has more information on this thing than the market does, which isn't necessarily true, because markets are smart because of the fact that they can incorporate information at a quick rate. Governments are not smart because they incorporate information at a very slow rate. So that's where I go back to kind of like if we're if if I'm analyzing the world based on that worldview, markets are efficient at pricing in information, governments are inefficient at pricing in information, then I'm like, is is it really a a, a solution um where worth pursuing where you have an, an inefficient thing that's trying to regulate an efficient thing, or let me put it this way, where you have solutions that are trying to be drawn up through an inefficient manner, I suppose. And 
I don't know, maybe, but then I guess you could say that these aren't the solutions. This is just money towards and ends, but then is it, sorry, I'm like talking to myself now. Like, are these ends worth, essentially what I'm saying is that are the ends that are worth putting money into, so are the ends that these governments have targeted that they want to put financial institutions to fund, are those ends truly what the market would generate if we let things play out via the market and also with a guiding hand that obviously, you know, doesn't just let things go free, but let's like, you know, prioritizes things such as environmental compliance, like not overly polluting these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I it's, go, a, tough, it's a tough question. Man. It, I, it, say, I, don't I don't have an answer. <laughs> I would say that uh, you are correct that the uh, market and the government at this point in time aren't dealing with uh, uh, differences in, in what they know. Uh, in fact, markets may have more data to, to uh, at their disposal. I think it's a, it, the argument would be made that the market obviously uh, needs uh, financial persu- uh, pushes to to make it do something in one direction or the other. Whereas, like, the right, government has that goes like the the market isn't going to solve climate change unless you put a carbon tax. And even if you do a carbon tax, I'm not saying advocating for this, but the idea would be that you would have to implement put these prices in a way to get the market to influence, and that has to be done by like some outside organization, which would be our government to do that from mm-hmm. to get the so, so so sometimes the the end goal is legitimate right so we can look at like the the vaccine uh well depending on what your outlook is but assuming that the vaccines are a good thing then we can say okay um which i, I do believe in in general they are they are good so we we have this for, for covid uh we had we had an end goal in mind we told our pharmaceutical companies hey we we want vaccines we don't care how much it's going to cost we're going to throw billions of dollars towards you guys you guys just figure it out so it was a situation where we had a goal as determined by our institutions of our government our our science our scientific institutions and we 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 threw the money towards our private industry uh, mainly our pharmaceutical companies to then do the research, do the studies, experimentation necessary in order to develop their the, the vaccines. So, again, uh, arguably, if you believe that um, the, the, that that end trajectory that was set by the government of developing the vaccines was a good one, then we did put into play, put into action uh, for industry to do it. But again, it was industry that had to do it via the financial incentives and assuming that those and goals that were set were legitimate, were good, and were true, were, were valid. So then the question is, are they in this case? Are, are, are those endpoints legitimate, true, and valid, especially when you have these situations where you're making these compromises with India and China and saying, hey, keep on doing your coal, and you're saying these uh, things that, Hey, if we do all these things, we're actually not going to hit our 1.5 degree target. We're actually going to be at 2.1 degrees. So then that's where I go at. Is the end goal being set a true one? Is the end target being set a, a noble one? And when you have these nefarious things that happen, 
it, it puts into question as well as well as and and that idea off of yeah i have well i, I don't want to make this a discussion over covid uh and no, vaccine no, companies because definitely there's certain companies that actually received money from governments and some that didn't uh for for uh but it's uh mm-hmm. i think the question of of does the um the ends justify the means and and, and mm-hmm. are we establishing the right ends the the targets mm-hmm. uh it's what i think you mean by that when you say ends that's what you're talking about like the objective the targets is that another right fair yeah. way of putting the it ends. okay yeah do the ends justify the means baby boy exactly so that uh i mean is uh <laughs> That's that's the billion dollar trillion dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so so yeah, we talked about uh, uh, some of the issues surrounding temperature, some of the issues surrounding uh, coal use, um, and uh, something I briefly want to touch on, which we, we kind of discussed a bit, was the idea of of methane and how methane is really being demonized but and how um th- there's 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 targets to reduce methane consumption however when you you look at, at co2 emissions yeah sorry what the fuck? running into some technical difficulties here folks we're just so one of the things that we talked about uh, briefly was the methane uh, consumption and how it's really being pushed back on and how there there are targets to to reduce our methane consumption and, and why is that it's because methane is kind of seen as a uh, a uh, greenhouse gas it's got um, something like 21 times the global warming, warming potential to co2 however people neglect that it's got a much shorter lifetime in the atmosphere relative to co2 which is side point but um, th- th- there's a push to, to reduce methane emissions, and um, I, I think I, I want to just say how uh, yes, methane uh, burning methane does generate CO two, but again, it's kind of like what you were saying is like relative to what if we're transitioning from coal to methane then arguably methane is actually a, a good because you have more efficient combustion, you have more gener- uh, more energy generated per gram, and you have less uh, CO2 emissions. So you have less pollution that is generated per gram burnt. So th- th- there are benefits to methane when you actually take a step back and look at the context within which methane is actually being produced and are we actually moving from a society that is burning coal wood cow dung to methane well that that, that might actually be be a good and net uh, better for the environment on top of that what i've heard uh, european energy uh, ceos talk about is this idea that we touched on in our episode on hydrogen is that once you start to build the infrastructure or, around gas, mm-hmm. you can start to blend combinations of hydrogen with um, CO2 or, or, or with methane, mm-hmm. CH4, uh, to lower the CO2. And you, so you have the infrastructure, yet yeah, you got to upgrade your turbines to allow for that. But And, and this could be them making, justifying it, but I just want to make it very clear that the idea would be that it, if you have an infrastructure that handles gas, then you can start to diversify what that gas is. And if you were able to make clean hydrogen, 
you know something that could be run off of it this is this is a step in in the right direction if you're yeah. if you're considering trying exactly. to reduce co2 emissions and that's a really good point because uh, yeah one of the things on um hydrogen was that it could be carried. Uh, I think what I was saying was that it could be transported long distances by being injected inside of um, um, methane pipelines, right? LFG or um, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the right term, but yeah, ba- basically pipelines d- dedicated towards transporting methane. You inject a certain percentage with with hydrogen, and now you have a network that's pushing around hydrogen which is an alternative to electricity it's an alternative to our energy storage uh, question which we're which we need to answer as it pertains to the storing of energy for our renewables Um, so current solutions are batteries but of course hydrogen is another one so that's a that's a really good point that um, is worth um, bring up as well and how methane it, it even though it is demonized there are a lot of environmental benefits associated with it so i think yeah we we talked a lot about cop26 um high level high level yeah just to wrap it up you know that i think there's there's some benefits to talking about the these issues and bringing it up um so that there's value in that and i suppose yeah, I mean, we can't always be skeptical. Sure, we should give them benefit of the doubt, but when you do see sketchy things in their in their objectives, such as claiming that this one point five degree threshold is catastrophic, yet everything that we're gonna do is gonna lead to a two point one degree increase, uh, like these or more, in, or yeah, more. Yeah. these just these inconsistencies makes you kind of question for me makes you question the the validity and the legitimacy of what's happening so uh, that, that that's uh, kind of our take on cop26 um a lot of uh, a lot of talking a lot of uh, politicians uh, saying a bunch of stuff will it result in anything i don't know but hey if you like this episode check out more at uh, firstprinciplespodcast.com you can find all of our content there or check us out on apple Podcasts, spotify youtube leave us a positive review we appreciate it and get in touch with us if you have any ideas any suggestions we're more than happy to take a listen and see what's up this is trees signing off with my partner elliot this fresh principles podcast and we'll catch you guys later break down from the ground up peace, peace.